make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, never been banned from Facebook or YouTube, never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion, ex-Muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial. Welcome to episode four of Polite Conversations with Ina and Paul. Today we have books columnist from Toronto publication, The Globe and Mail, John Semley. And we're here to discuss a review that he wrote recently on Sharb of Charlie Hebdo, his uh, book that he released recently called Open Letter. Hi, John. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, John, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. So... Uh, what kind of response have you been getting to this uh, article? I'm sure you've been getting quite a lot of feedback on it. Uh, yes, I have. And it's interesting to me, um, the, a lot of the negative feedback comes on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the positive feedback comes from people who bother to take the time to find my email address and like email me thoughtful responses instead of just saying that I'm an enemy of liberalism and a hipster Islamist. Uh, so, so, I mean, I don't know if that's a, you know, a comment on social media or whatever. Um, but certainly I would say a more overwhelmingly negative response, uh, in terms of volume. Um, but in terms of thoughtfulness, certainly some, some positive response and some conversations that I've had with people about it. Right. Yeah, I mean, Twitter is not uh, the place where you get the most thoughtful It's not notorious for bringing out the best in people, I would say. Uh, Yeah, you know, I get most of my death and rape threats on Twitter. Uh, (laughs) But uh, hopefully you didn't get any of that for... No, I mean, as a a man, as like a white guy... um, I have the luxury of people not threatening to rape me all the time. Uh, right. It's a thing I try not to take for granted. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ex-Muslim, right? We talked about that That's a bit right. in email. Yeah. So I, um, I have a, an interesting, uh, I don't know. I just, uh, couldn't understand some of the article, like, well, much of the article. I understand your perspective, but I don't understand that perspective um, coming from a liberal Westerner. It's hard for me to understand because I fought so hard and I lived in a theocracy. And um, yeah, so we'll talk about that a bit more. Um Uh, Yeah, so I'm just going to read one of the lines that just jumped out at me. I soon found myself at odds with sentimental liberal acquaintances on the internet who hastily championed the Hebdo jokers as martyrs in some imagined war against freedom of expression. So it's interesting. I mean, I sense that you don't like them very much at all. And I've seen that a lot on the internet. Like a lot of people don't like them, right? Right. Well, I, I guess um, I've been thinking about this a lot because, I, I mean, I knew we'd be talking about it. Um, and I think when it boils down to it, um, the thing that I found 
confusing and then uh, infuriating and that uh, that sort of feeling of being appalled never really went away in the intervening year and increased certainly when I read Charb's book um, but I, w- I was really kind of riled by this idea that I mean you know, I'm not an, I'm not a tyrant and like, I'm not a fascist, like I'm more an idiot. I mean, I know that freedom of expression and freedom of speech is a good thing, but I feel like when this happened, all of a sudden people confuse that idea of agreeing with the right to say something and agreeing with the content of what was said. And the way that papers around the world were sort of republishing these Charlie Hebdo images. Uh, there the were so many papers refused to publish. It. Did anyone publish it in Toronto? I don't think so. In Toronto, I don't think so. But I mean, uh, across Europe, um, certainly websites and stuff in the States. Um, and again, just like, you know, kind of seem like I said, friends and acquaintances who are like, oh, this hits close to home because like me and my friends love making jokes. And it's like to me, uh, you know. Uh, and again, I can't stress this enough. I'm not saying at all like they deserve to be killed or their lives are pointless or something. I I would never say that about anything. Um, But I think that like they became these sort of martyrs for, for liberal values where to my mind, they seemed like racists and they seemed like bigots. Um, And, you know, if someone, if someone was like uh, gunned down who made, you know, racist African-American cartoons that they distributed on stormfront.com, would that elicit the same level of kind of hand wringing and the sort of insane levels of protest and uh, I suppose protest isn't the right word in France, but the the memorial they had, um, like, I don't think we'd see that reaction. And I think that that is accounted for in some way uh, by the place of Muslims in the Western world. Well, um, okay, so I'm very much against anti-Muslim bigotry. I battle idiot anti-Muslim bigots on social media all the time. And I get hate from them as well as, uh, you know, conservative um, conservative Muslims. So I'm kind of sandwiched in between where I'm trying to fight for my freedom of expression, for my right to disbelieve from within my community. And I'm also getting attacked by anti-Muslim bigots. So I'm very sensitive to anti-Muslim bigotry, but I think that there is, there has been, you know, so much misunderstanding around Charlie Hebdo. Firstly, I'm an illustrator and I've received death threats for my illustrations. Um, Part, part, part of that is why we couldn't meet in person as well because I stay anonymous because of the n- number of threats that I get. So I, when someone is killed, now let's hypothetically say they were bigots and racists and they were killed still okay. for drawing cartoons. They're still bigots and racists that just drew cartoons to express their bigotry versus the bigots and racists that stormed in and killed them for being liberal, immoral Westerners or whatever, you know, yeah, that's hypothetically saying that they're bigots, but I don't think that they are because anytime you look up the context on their cartoons, they, they're firmly left wing. They're very pro migrant. They're a very, they're involved in SOS racism, this group of NGOs and a lot of anti-racist movements. And, uh, I don't, I don't see what the, they're completely, 
secular and atheistic and they like to poke fun at religion and they've poked fun at all kinds of religion. So... Okay, yeah. I mean, first of all, I mean, I don't see how a cartoon that's like, you know, has Boko Haram harem sex slaves on the cover and is making fun of them wanting welfare money. Uh, it was making how fun that of the right wing perception of them. Yeah, but uh, where, I mean. context that's lost. Like, for example, I am a Pakistani Canadian sex and religion and politics blogger, and I write a lot about sex and freedom and things like that but sometimes to make my point I'll make like posters graphics that uh, seem like completely anti-sex and like I'll be like masturbation kills puppies or whatever just as an ex- like just as an example if someone that does not know my background looks at those will think I'm some hardcore religious anti-sex person that is very against masturbation so I think in that sense because this um, these cartoons traveled so fast around the globe, people did not understand the culture and uh, the context associated with them. They're usually mocking things that the right wing in France have said or their perspectives. I understand that, but I mean, I guess, I mean, the, you know, I'm not oblivious to the history of France <laughs> At all, and it's like the this idea that they're secular and that they're atheists. Atheists, those being inherently positive, progressive values, it's just something that I don't necessarily agree with. And a lot of the sort of the the backlash to this. I mean, I'll say for the record, I was raised Catholic, and I am an atheist. I don't believe in God, or I believe that there is no God. But I certainly don't identify with this strain of sort of Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris. You know, all these people who are being quoted at me on Twitter, left, right, and center. Uh, style of new atheists who essentially use a form of secularism. I think. Um, as a mask for anti-Islamic sentiment. Um, I think there are those people that exist, definitely. Yeah. And I'm very against those people and I battle those people all the time and I write about them. But I don't think that it's uh, fair to characterize Charlie Hebdo and, I, and you know even Dawkins and Harris. I think they're often mischaracterized as that just because they're a bit louder and a bit more firm about their atheism. I don't think that they hate Muslims. In fact, they support ex-Muslims. They talk about anti-Muslim bigotry all the time. But yes, they can do more. They should do more. And I'm, you know, in the, like I wrote an open letter to Sam Harris asking him to maybe step in and clarify these things. So we'll see. He said he's going to write back to me. I'm hoping that he will. And But anyways, back to Charlie Hebdo. So, yeah, I just feel like, isn't it unfair to kind of turn the the spotlight on the the slaughtered, the brutally murdered, just for the crime of drawing? Yeah, but I mean, this, again, to clarify, you know, I'm not write, like writing out of the blue an op-ed on the anniversary of Charlie Hebdo. I'm reviewing Charb's book. Mm-hmm. The subject of the article is Charb's book. If, you know, one of, uh, if I was reviewing a book by an Islamic militant, uh, I would shine the spotlight on the Islamic militant, but that wasn't the case. The the in, in the review, I was trying to highlight this what I saw as being a sort of fallacious logic that under 
underlied charge thinking, that underlied uh, Charlie Hebdo's approach uh, to what they consider uh, or what are granted them to be their rights um, and their freedoms, and also to the sort of reaction with that. And the main thing that I draw issue with um, again and again and again, and it's with everything, it's not just with Charlie Hebdo, is this notion of being an equal opportunity offender. And it's something I talk about quite at length. Right. Um, Like, let me just read some quotes on that from your article. Shouldn't we treat the second largest religion in France exactly as we treat the first? I think you said that that was a moronically reductive question. Yes. And then there was depicting a Christian icon as Jesus, even if he's engaged in buggery with his holy father, is not the same as depicting Muhammad. So, yeah, can you just talk talk a bit about why you think those for reasons for reasons that I lay out I talk about the idea of anti-iconism where the Islamic faith is uh, stricter and more preoccupied with this idea of not only not depicting Muhammad not depicting Allah not depicting anything figurative that exists in nature is a core tenet of their belief system but is that is that a good thing like who am I to say if it's good or bad? My point is that it's not the same to depict Christ as it is Muhammad because there's a particular prohibition against Muhammad. If they were equal opportunity offenders, they would be depicting uh, Quakers, uh, other people who uh, don't believe in reproducing images of the natural world. Do you see any jokes about Quakers? It's, in I'm of- sure it's not because they are afraid of Quakers or don't want to hurt their feelings. It's just they're taking on the big players in the scene. Right. But to what end are they taking on those big players? I mean, we hear a lot about with comedy, with satire, that it should, uh, what's what's the phrase? Um, Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Uh, Do jokes about oppressed Muslim communities in France and Western Europe or in the Western world in general uh, do anything to comfort the afflicted? No, they only serve the people who are already in power, who are already comfortable. But no, Uh, um... You know, who that misses out is the minorities within the minorities because they are struggling. And I mean, we are searching for a way to push our culture forward and we need allies and we never get them from the liberal West. It's not something many people consider, but gay Muslims, women, uh, you know, progressive Muslims, ex-Muslims, we have no allies we're the liberals, we're the left wing of the Muslim community, and we're completely ignored by the left of the West because the left of the West is busy siding with the Muslim right. Um, yeah, I mean, if that's your experience, like, I don't know, I don't know really what to say back to that. Like, are, I mean, are you saying that you're, you see allies in, like, Charlie Hebdo? I mean... Absolutely. I mean, I like I said, I don't believe they're bigots. If I did believe they were bigots, they would not be my allies. Right. But they're pro-immigrant, pro-migrant. They're not out to demonize individual Muslims. They're mocking the right-wingers who are demonizing. Right. But, I mean, I guess to, just to sort of um, make this point, I guess, as clearly as I can, uh, is... Again, this equal opportunity offense thing, equal opportunity offense presumes that everything is equal, right? Uh, You know, let's say, I'm trying to think of an analogy, I don't know. Let's say I have two pizzas, uh, and one is a large pizza and one is a small pizza. If I eat the same proportion of each, this is a dumb analogy, um, one one will obviously be... uh, 
proportionally smaller than the other. I don't know. Does that even make sense? Uh, I I kind of get what you're trying to say, but okay. So let me make like a counter analogy. Say, do you like, uh, what's his name? John Stewart. So, 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 so sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, there's plenty of liberal Westerners that are happy to mock Christianity, right wing Christianity, or even, you know, uh, conservative Judaism. But when it uh, so can you send me links of where people in the mainstream American media are mocking Judaism or saying anything about the state of Israel in the mainstream media? Not like where's not the state of Israel. I'm talking about like there's so many. I mean, have you not heard of the so many articles where the ultra orthodox Jewish men have refused to sit with women on planes at, or like they put themselves in plastic bags? It's ridiculous, but I'm not an anti Semite for saying that. It's just ridiculous. Do you know right. what I'm saying? Right. Right. So there's a distinction. What's ridiculous in Islam is ridiculous, not because you hate Muslims. Right. But I mean, would you say that the this sort of, uh, you know, shared antagonisms and anxiousness uh, uh, in the Western world are mobilized against uh, Orthodox Jews as much as they're organized against Muslim communities. Like well, our, sorry, go on. It's true. Muslim communities now are under fire. They are in focus and they do experience a lot of bigotry, but there is a lot of anti-Semitism too. And there's a lot of anti-Semitic crimes and that kind of sentiment as well. But, uh, you know, the community, the Jewish communities are, you know, well integrated and all of that. So they aren't at the same places in society. They're successful. They're, uh, you know. Got- well, I know I want I need I want to jump in real quick sure, on, yeah. on that point, because, John, I wanted to ask you about that. But I, I'll kind of I'll kind of shift gears so I can tag on to what you are hitting on. I want to play devil's advocate with this. Maybe. Do you think when when we're trying to make this comparison? Between those two communities, fundamental uh, Judaism, their and and their their pockets of populations, and then those other pockets of you know whether it's in it, we're talking about North America or, or you know somewhere in Europe of Muslim populations in certain city city centers and whatnot, can we not argue that possibly the reason we see those types of reactions maybe more towards Muslim populations is because of these very actions that we do on our end. And I'm not pointing at you specifically, John, but anybody who brings a voice against uh, Charlie Hebdo or, or its ilk and then makes special inclusions for this population, you can't, you know, you can't compare Jesus to drawings of Muhammad. So you're making these special conditions for this special population. And if you've got people that are teetering on being bigots, they see something like that, and that may be the catalyst that they need to just, you know, either full bore into their bigotry or, or maybe, you know, they hear enough voices going, hey, why do these people get these special conditions? And, and I think we all realize folks are going to take the path of least resistance. They're not going to educate themselves on everything. So when, when, we, when we construct arguments like this, and, and your, your review of the book is very similar to a lot of discussions that I saw around this time of Charlie Hebdo, Mm -hmm. I I wonder, because I know people who would take your article and and use it as the fire to fuel their bigotry. They really would. So that's why I want to pose that to you and see what kind of thoughts you had on that. 
Okay, well, uh, I would say as a columnist for like uh, Canada's largest paper of record, uh, I may be responsible to a different audience uh, than someone who's dumb enough to already be teetering on the edge of bigotry. Uh, and to say that someone would read this and become bigoted, uh, I mean, was certainly the opposite of my intent. Uh, the, in reading it. Uh, and again, I'm not making special accommodations. I'm saying, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, when I'm saying that depicting Jesus is depicting Muhammad, uh, it's different than depicting Muhammad. That's just factually true. It's, it's offensive in a different and in a more pointed way. And it also, like I say, would have to presume that Christianity and the Islamic faith are on a level playing field, which they're not. Uh, you know, the populations, the people may not be, but I mean, as faith, they're just ideas. Yeah, but how do people react to those ideas? How are those people treated in the like? You know, we you, you talk about Judaism, you know, making fun of, of Judaism, which again, I don't see. I don't see serious critiques of you know, if not the state of Israel, then even Judaism for various reasons. Um, you know, on the other hand, you can make fun of Jimmy Swaggart and the Westboro Baptist Church as much as you want because it doesn't mean anything, right? But shouldn't you be able to make fun of uh, Orthodox I'm, Judaism? I'm, I'm able to do whatever I want. If I wanted to, I have the right to sit in my room and masturbate 43 times a day, but I try to go out and do something a bit better than that. Okay, but I'm not able to. I'm not able to make fun of Islam uh, because why, I'll get why are, you, why are you not able to? Because I'll get murdered. By whom? Uh, by the same kinds of people that killed the Charlie Hebdo staff. They've all, like, these people are emailing me and tweeting at me all the time saying, you're a Pakistani uh, infidel, you should die, you should be raped and then killed. Like, And, and, well, and, and I want to jump in here real quick because it's, it's, Ina's not, this isn't just, you know, oh, woe is me anecdotes. Um, John, I have another show that I've done where I interview ex-Muslims uh, from a secular atheist perspective, and what you hear Ina saying is a lot. I, I hear this. I've heard this far too many times for my own liking. This is a very real thing. For and I know you, you probably know this. This is probably more for the listeners and you yourself. But this is a very real thing. Whether it's you know on the on this great spectrum of aggression or egregious action, it's still a very real thing in their perspective. So when I, when I hear you say these kind of thing, these things, they, it's, it's an idea. That's all it is. So they are on a level playing field. And what's the harm in that? What's the harm in, it's almost like that, you know, my friend uh, Faisal Saeed Al-Mutar will probably sue me for using his line, but it's that, you know, that almost like a racism of lowered expectations that just because someone's a Muslim, they, they, that they can't sit back and go, wow, this is really critical of Muhammad. I'm offended. Wait, why am I offended? What has me so upset about seeing a drawing of my prophet and having them do that exploration? Is that such a bad thing? But, but this, this presumes that it leads to a sort of path of enlightenment that is totally a-religious and that you can't live with your faith and you can't have these beliefs and you can't be offended by it. Muslim people have a right to be offended by these things. Sure, but let's be offended maturely. That's what I would want from my community to get to that point where we can deal with offense the same way people learn to deal with uh, being offended by Jesus, Jesus drawings or, you know, piss Christ or whatever. Right, but I'm saying, okay... 
you know, we suffer so much, like, in terms of the arts, like Book of Mormon. Have you ever seen that? Uh, I know the gist of it. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it. You, you need to go check it out. It's awesome. It's amazing. <laughs> well, I, I thought it was brilliant. I loved it's it. It's absolutely and brilliant. <laughs> I just, like, really at a loss for my community that we don't get to have these things, these expressions, because um, we forbid them. You know, I grew up in Saudi, and... Though they had photo development places where you take your camera or your negatives, whatever, back in the day, um, but you were not allowed to take photos um, publicly. Like now that there are smartphones, obviously they can't control it. But I remember like for a school project or whatever, I, I wanted to take a photo of some buildings or something and we had to hide and do it. Like my dad was like fearful, like get in the car and kind of secretively take it or he'll step out and kind of shadily take it. Like it was just taking a photo of a building. Um, which we needed for school, but photo, taking photos is not allowed because that's like idolatry, but they have photo development places. So why do they have those? It makes no sense. Uh, well, to talk, to talk beyond idolatry, I believe, um, where people were suspected of, of casing uh, an aquarium or a building because they were taking photos and they were investigated by the police. And it turned out they were only doing a school project. Mm -hmm. So maybe if we live in a world where we don't have those attitudes uh, towards Muslim people or to people of different cultures or people of different skin tones, then I say, go ahead. It's a free for all. But at this point, that's not where we're at. No, but like, I'm trying to, like, I know that you meant, you're not doing this out of, you're not writing this out of malicious intent. In fact, your intent is, uh, you know, it's good intent. You're well-meaning and you want to say, don't be racist, don't be bigoted towards Muslims. Um, but I think as Paul was saying in the end, it is like a, like a, like treating us with kid gloves, you know, like we don't get to sit at the grown-up table. We don't get to, uh, move forward in the same way if we keep being treated like that we can separate bigotry towards people from critique of ideas is something that i always want to stress like i would love it if people uh, called out the faults of everyone right so well, we just drop tribalism and just openly accept the issues within our community uh, communities and we don't get defensive when someone says well you know um islam is homophobic like because i'm sorry it is catholicism is homophobic i'm sorry it is does that make me a bigot because i'm not catholic yeah no i mean i don't think it does um i don't i don't think that makes you a bigot i mean i mean i obviously think we should discuss all these things and the way that you're speaking about it is sort of precisely how char writes about it in the book where he's like aren't the real racist the people who think the muslim communities can't take a joke but it's like and i agree again the the thing that i want to stress with this review and in general is that all these things that you're saying are fundamentally uh, sort of hypothetically in a letter of the law type way, true. But I think that what that sort of spirit forgets is uh, the real stuff of lived existence where 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 things aren't aren't equal. But I uh, am that lived existence, right? Oh no, but yeah. I mean, I'm just saying that, like, like as we discussed before. I mean, uh, Muslims, Christians. 
you know, the Hebrew faith, like they're not on a level playing field in the West. And I don't think that this is also the same narrative that the fascists from my community use to stop me from expressing myself freely from me having freedoms as a woman, as a whatever, as an illustrator, as a writer. I mean, yeah, I, I want to have those things. Why shouldn't I be able to mock Muhammad? I mean, well, again, you can, uh, of course you can mock Muhammad. I mean, uh, you know, the other thing is like, we're not talking about like um, an ex-Muslim Pakistani woman doing it. We're talking about like pudgy white French intellectuals, like drawing Muhammad's asshole all day. Whatever. I mean, he's, I mean, for all we know, he's not even real. But, uh, well, here and here I got John. I want I want to share something with you and and have to, in response to that. So what if it is a pudgy white dude in the middle of Paris doing this? If he is manifesting this freedom of expression for those voiceless people who can't have it, who look towards those things as a a beacon signal of hope, if nothing else, something to anchor on. And and I say that because I. When I, when I was doing my older version of the show and exclusively focused on Islam and, and the ex-Muslim uh, voice, I had a conversation with somebody who stayed anonymous, uh, who did some writing, but she was really looking to do a podcast. And no, I know I'm not talking about you. This is <laughs> somebody completely different. And I asked her, I said, you know, well, you know, for me, I'm coming from your same perspective, you know, white Western male. So when she said this, I was like, why don't you? I mean, it's just, it's not even something to think about. Just go do it. And for her, it wasn't a, even a reality. She had to see other people. And then incrementally, as more ex-Muslim voices came out, she felt stronger to the point where she wanted to start writing, but she still didn't feel, I don't remember her, you know, exact words, but she didn't want to stick her neck out there to really put a, a voice to her voice, if you will, because she was worried about, you know, um, the reaction, both from the left, uh, from fundamental Islam, et cetera, her, 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 her cultural circles, et cetera. So when it comes to this, is, is that so malicious that a, a pudgy white Parisian does that in, in, in the vacuum where there is no one else doing that? Well, again, as I, as I said when we started, uh, I think it's a different thing. I think it's a different thing to say that, yes, they can do this. Yes, they can do it. They have the right to do it. Right. Uh, it's noble and valuable and essential to democracy that they do it. Does that mean I have to agree with it at all? No, and let me tell you, for the record, I think that their cartoons are like, they're crass, and I wouldn't, you know, use that uh, technique to to draw attention to things. Uh, they're not my favorite cartoonists in the world, but in principle, I think they are like heroes because of what, like... I think that's so sad. That's like so sad to me. Why is that sad? Because like, you know, even if you're talking about France, like you're talking about a place where people like bound together and like, you know, kicked, kicked out the monarchs and the wealthy to create a more free, more egalitarian society. And in the 21st century, our liberal heroes are people drawing like the prophet Muhammad's asshole. Like it's a joke. But, I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I mean, it is so important to me that people mock uh, bad beliefs it, because I have been um, oppressed directly by living in a, in a theocracy. They, we had morality police where I grew up. 
they walked around with canes um, and smacked the ankles of women whose headscarves slipped down. It's so important to me that I get solidarity from other liberals in other countries for being for for wanting to be a liberal in my community. Like, does that you know? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but again, I just don't think that sort of mocking. Uh, a, a population who in France not and mocking a population Muhammad and the population are very different okay well they're mocking the beliefs of like a large these are stupid of like I mean some of them are absolutely stupid like you know uh, women uh, getting half the inheritance these things deserve to be mocked women should cover themselves up lest they provoke the lust of men and you know like men should be responsible for their own lust. Why? Why shouldn't I mock that? Like I'm a like a very strict critic of the niqab, and I'm going to guess that you were very um, pro it during our country's debate. You're guessing that I'm pro niqab. Not pro niqab, but pro uh, the the people like the the niqab. Was anyone's decision to want to wear whatever they want on their face when they're taking a citizenship oath if that's the question right that's the question however it's not equal right if i can't wear a satan mask in court why can someone wear a religious honestly believe you do you believe what you're saying when you say it of course i but why would i not but do you understand that there's no stakes to wear Satan masks? Like there is stakes for me, though. Like, well, of there in, is. In, in your case, but this is a difficult argument for me to have because I'm trying to simultaneously argue against Charb and against you, who share a set of beliefs, but whose personal experiences and the ways in which they might be targeted, I presume, are very different. Absolutely. I don't know. Yes, uh, but in um, some ways, we're targeted the same for being. Uh, illustrators it's the same kind of targeting except i'm a woman and i'm an apostate and i carry the death penalty according to many muslims okay it's like just a sin to leave islam like that is punishable by death right so yeah i mean i i I don't know so who's going to be on my side saying this is a ridiculous belief that i shouldn't die for not believing yes i mean again I, I don't I, like we're just kind of at loggerheads, right? Like, if, if you if you want to find that value in these things, you have the right to do it. But I don't share that belief. Um, anyways, and as a sort of uh, argumentative how Mary uh, with stuff like this, it always is like ironic to me that. Uh, you know, these guys can draw buttholes left, right, and center and be hailed as heroes of free speech. But if it's you not that you're focusing too much on the butthole. That's not the focus of why Listen, they're heroes. Like, like they're not Grace heroes said, because they draw buttholes. Look, Catherine Gray said, uh, you fuck a horse once, you're a horse fucker for life. You draw one Muhammad butthole, uh, you're going to be known as the guys who draw Muhammad buttholes. I don't know. That's just the way it works in my brain, right? Um, <laughs> My point is that when I critique the value of doing that, uh, you know, exercising my own right to say whatever I please. Oh, you abs- I'm not uh, saying that you don't have a right to say, you know, I think everyone has a right to say what they want unless they're inciting violence. 
but you don't think that stuff like this incites violence? I mean, you don't think that like like drawing buttholes incites violence? Well, no, I, I'm saying like like you know, ma- I, again, I see them as bigots. I see them as essentially mocking issues. I see them as being racist. I see them as feeding into like a sort of uh, form of very stodgy Western liberal intellectualism uh, that is not commensurate with the sort of progressivism that I'm interested in. Which is the progressivism that defends Muslims at all costs? Like, I'm, I'm not the, again, I've never, I, uh, I never once defended the attackers uh, or the, the killers or anything like that. You know, I just, I guess with this, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get at a sort of, uh, a rhetoric or a language of compassion that goes beyond doing something because you have the right to do it. You know, in Canada, we had Ernst Zundel handing out Holocaust pants. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's not the same. Okay, well, I mean, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's like, you know, an example of someone who's like printing and disseminating ideas. Um, maybe some people would say he has the right to do that if they're free speech absolutists. Uh, but again, I don't think you, I don't think you have to necessarily agree that it's good or that it's productive to do that. And when things aren't good or productive, why do them? You know, why, why do them? Because people like me don't have the freedom to draw. A, like I, okay, I drew, I wrote a children's book two years ago called "My Chacha Is Gay." It's set in Pakistan. It's the first anti-homophobia book set in, and only probably, I don't know, for another 30 years or something. It's, uh, the fir- the only anti-homophobia books, children's book to be set in Pakistan. And it features a brown and his nephew and their family. And it's like a very simple little story about Ahmed and his uncle and how he, the kid doesn't understand why people mistreat his uncle because just because he is gay. And it's a very like simple tale. There's no complexity, no, you know, it just ends on the note that love belongs to everyone. For that, I got called the enemy of God and, you know, worthy of death. And some of the school boards in Toronto used it for like naively with good intentions to show that, you know, on pink day, is which is a day of against to teach against anti-homophobic anti-transphobic bullying there's nothing for the immigrant kids to relate to in that context right because even with our recent sex ed curriculum changing it was the muslim populations that took their kids out of school that protested what about the kids that might be gay that might be trans that might just identify as queer, who's going to side with them? How are we going to progress if everybody keeps shielding the community like that? Just because there is anti-Muslim bigotry doesn't mean that bad beliefs shouldn't be called out. I am all for standing against anti-Muslim bigotry, but we need to recognize what is bigotry first. Right. Well, I mean, okay, with your example of the the Ontario school curriculum, I mean, I agree with that as well. I mean, I think that... uh, in the West, there's a sort of uh, very lazy, vulgar rhetoric of inclusivity, uh, this idea that everyone can just kind of get along despite, you know, fundamental discrepancies uh, in value systems, which is 
you know, itself a very sort of Western way of thinking, uh, which is something that exposed itself with the school scandal. Um, but again, I think that like the way to sort of uh, the way to mend those gaps and to build those bridges is through. I don't know, productive dialogues like this or something. Yeah, well, I think this is... Not by by antagonizing. And I see, you know, I I see Hebdo as being antagonized. But it's like... I also think they're stupid, and I think that they're racist. We have different tools for it. Like, this is one tool, a dialogue. But you know that um, liberal Canadian media won't really uh, air perspectives like mine very often. Because I can't easily be put in the a white opponent, bigot, whatever box, right? They just, they don't air like, they always portray this caricature of Muslims. Like a hijab-wearing conservative person is, they're not the liberal Muslims that exist, that are not, that have left countries that have imposed niqabs and hijabs on them. They don't approve of these things. This is what they left behind. And yet this hijab and niqab thing is being trotted out as some liberal symbol of solidarity with Muslim women. Yeah, let's wrap our heads in misogyny and be, you know, against anti-Muslim bigotry. Yeah, of course I don't endorse like the bigots that are like pushing women in hijabs and ripping their scarves off, but to, to not recognize that this, this covering of women is like segregation. It's, it's not, it's, it's sexist to not recognize that and to celebrate it they're cool or whatever. It's just, it's not okay. You're empowering our right wing. For anyone saying it's cool, I'm thinking, look, this is an entirely different issue. But I think that when that was happening, what people were saying is that they respect people's rights uh, to do things like this in the same way that like Sikh RCMP officers can wear their turban. It's not the same because it's not sexism. Right, okay. But, I, but if a woman is choosing and you can debate what things that choice is informed by. Is it informed by a sort of patriarchal, uh, sexist religious institution? Perhaps I don't really know enough about the culture to be able to say that. All I'm saying is that if someone wants to wear a hijab or a niqab when they take their citizenship oath. Oh, I'll support them if it's the hijab, because I mean, that's not imposing on me in any way, but the face covering is really different because no one else gets to cover their face. So this is, again, that, that double standard, you know? But it's not a double standard because you're using an example of wearing a Halloween mask. Why not? Because it's not it's not particular to any sort of religious faith. Why does it have to this be? This is the problem with atheists like you, right, or non-believers, is that you, you're, you're so convinced that... Uh, your atheism is like more noble or more intelligent or uh, than any other religious system that you totally forget about the compassion of it. Uh, it you, you, you know, it's like the people wearing flying spaghetti heads, spaghetti straight. Okay, so wait a minute. I should re- keep in mind the compassion of the garment that the morality police caned women for where I grew up. Well, look, I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. You know, you you can have your opinion on it, but I'm saying that, like, you have, I feel like that you have to understand in some sense that, like, a garment that's part of someone's religious heritage and their expression of their faith and their identity. It's my is- religious heritage. 
that someone wearing a Halloween mask just to make a joke about it. It's not a joke. It's making a point. Where it's making a very dumb adolescent juvenile point. No. Like, what, what, how is women's empowerment or freedom a dumb adolescent juvenile point? You're doing this like South Park thing where it's like you're imagining comic hypothetical scenarios that expose the inherent hypocrisy and everything. And it's like, I don't know, it's not the way the world works to how me. Would you, how would you prefer to tackle this if not at least one law for all? I'm not going to like go into their homes or on their streets in their neighborhoods and wear a Satan mask and equate the two things. But I'm saying at least in the court of law or citizenship court, no masks should be allowed. No face covering should be allowed. And that should just be consistent. Yeah, but why can't there be an accommodation if it's like part of someone's religious identity? Like, because mis- misogyny should not be accommodated. Like you're saying that it's misogynist. People, that, you know, I imagine a lot of people who wear them don't believe that it's misogynist or it's not or they don't conceive of like this uh you know, and they, I don't mean this to sound infantilizing at all, but they don't conceive of misogyny in the same way. So, sure, they don't. They absolutely don't. And I mean, telling them that they should cover their faces lest they provoke the lust of—I don't know—the any man looking at them is is, is misogyny. Telling them that that is misogyny, they were not going—they're not going to understand that because to them, it's—I don't know—empowering, anti-imperialist, anti-colonialist, some kind of standing up to Western culture or something. But you don't see that as ridiculous, like. I don't, I don't understand. This is so bizarre to me. Do I sound like a hipster Islamist? Uh, no, you don't sound like an Islamist because you're not even Muslim, but you sound like someone who maybe out of good intent will support mild forms of Islamism. And Islamism is just any imposition of political Islam. Um, it doesn't have to be like like extremism in the way that we perceive it. I think one of the things we need to recognize is nonviolent extremism. And I think extreme coverings of women is that if there's no intervention, if there's no, like, let's say, how did society, society's views on homosexuality have changed so much over the past couple of decades? Now it's kind of like taboo to be a homophobe. Right. But back in the day, it wasn't. You could easily, be, even our, our like conservative politicians are kind of trying to pretend that they're completely cool with marriage equality and, right? And, and that's a great place to be in, I think, where our conservative politicians are trying not to be homophobes, at least in the public eye. Right. I mean, okay, I have a thousand different opinions on that, but the, to talk about the niqab again... But we've shifted public opinion. That's where the niqab comes yeah, in. Yeah, but, okay, my, my point is, and again, it's the same with uh, with Hebdo. It's, it's a matter of tact, right? And I think the way to build a more compassionate world and a way of understanding people is not when someone's coming over to your country, becoming a citizen, immediately saying, you can't wear that, that's stupid, that's misogynist, we don't support no, that. No, I'm not saying say that. I'm just saying, well, we have a law, there's no facial coverings in court, and that's it. That doesn't sound like, you know, adolescent or anything. It just sounds like a law. Right, but I think that it's, I think it is sort of, you know, you, you could say that it's an accommodation to allow Muslim women to wear it, but I could, you know, say on the other side that it's sort of deliberately targeting because it's a prohibition against something that only affects this group of people. 
So Yeah, but why is this group of people expecting that they can cover their faces in court when no one else can? Okay, because again, like I say, we're just going in circles, right? Because it's an expression of their faith, an expression, an expression of their religious identity. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say beyond that. My problem with it, from my experiences, is it's demanding accommodations here in the Western world. However, if any of us were to travel to the Middle East, like I have, the, accom- have signs. the, the accommodations are not made. We no, we we must strictly well in anything anything. I flew into Qatar or Qatar, however you want to say it, and I I watched a military person in front of me be arrested for having a Maxim magazine trying to bring it through customs in Qatar because we had to comply with them. That's the problem that I have, John. Is the, the accommodations are always a one way street. And if I was a political, <laughs> if I was an Islamist interested in projecting my political platform, all I would have to do to my uneducated masses if i keep people away from open forms of information is i can use these examples to validate and to verify why our perception our perspective our our platform is superior to others because we can force these accommodations in the west and get westerners to have this this circle it's funny you say you talk about qatar because they had a campaign called reflect your respect I think it was Qatar, and they had signs of how Westerners should dress, like yes. how much of themselves they need to cover when they come, and how there's a fine for like hugging or sing, singing, even. I think like, in a couple of years they're going to take all of Europe into the middle of their country for the World Cup, and they're going to restrict people drinking alcohol to these manufactured city centers, and you can't do it. I mean, it, so my the, the point is, is that that's great. I hear what you're saying, and in a perfect world. We would have the tax base to to have uh, 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 representatives that could go off into a private chamber and validate a woman's identity and all that stuff to avoid. A, we don't have the perfect world, but we can't. No, they offered to do that. Oh, they did. So see, what? Well, we they did, we, but I don't think that's fair to have like a burqa peeker for certain. Like, but all what? it does is it. I I feel it just pushes the. It's pushing a rope. We're John not- is thinking we're like a couple of bigots now. Right? <laughs> no, I, I don't think you're bigots, but I mean, there's a certain sort of contradiction here. Like, I, I never understand these arguments where it's like, well, if we went to the East, they wouldn't be accommodating to us. Well, it, it's like, okay, if you love the liberal enlightened West so much, why are you against trying to make it seem more liberal and enlightened by embracing other people's differences? Like, I just don't understand that thinking. And as far as burqa peaking, like, it's not like, first of all, it's like, what, three women in Christ? in question like it's not like a cartoon where they're showing up at a border no i understand but i mean in principle it's just why why should there be someone specifically put in that position just so that they have the privilege of having their burqa peaked under like it's really one accommodation after another for right-wing bigots they are if they are choosing this, I can. <laughs> they are extremists and they are right wing bigots in the Muslim sense. This is not what your average Muslim is like. We're, our community is being misrepresented by these people and it is being taken over by these people and radicalized by these people. And these are the people that we are now in Canada bending over backwards to accommodate. 
Right. I mean, I don't think we're bending over backwards if we uh, let three people take a citizenship oath without removing something from their face. I don't think that is like... They're they're winning against the federal government. Why is it a fight? Why is it who's winning, who's losing? Like, I don't understand this. Because they want to hide their faces in court. It's a ridiculous request. So what? Like, why, why does that matter? What is it? It's not like it's little rascals. Did you make that accommodation for, a, like, a KKK person? <laughs> I wouldn't make that accommodation for a KKK person. But, again, I'm saying that these aren't these aren't relevant comparisons. Like They are relevant. They are well, relevant. There's no, there's no equivalence between someone taking a citizenship oath in a KKK mask and someone taking a citizenship oath in a burger or in a cob. Oh, like, there is. Okay, I disagree. John, Because it's a symbol of hate. I mean, you're not a woman, a brown woman, who's lived in a theocracy, who's seen morality police hitting women for not covering up enough. And that is the the people who are wearing it are political propagandists. I'm not talking about the people that are forced into it. I'm talking about the people that willingly flaunt their privilege to choose it. They are supremacists in a certain way. They look down on women who do not cover themselves as sluts. I mean, I'm talking about our internal community. Like, this is just how, how they are. They, these are not, they, they are supremacists. They are extremists. They, they're very much, I see them a bit like the KKK and they upset me like that. I'm sure the KKK would upset you, right? So obviously it would. Yes. I mean, like the, so, okay. So again, to sort of get back to the beginning here, the way to sort of mitigate and resolve this tension, uh, amongst Islamic religious extremists or fundamentalists, uh, is to doodle their prophets, uh, rectum and wag it in their faces. There you are with the butthole again. (laughs) I'm talking about like the most famous cover that they had, like of, of you know. But I, I like again of literally all For- the tools that you have. I don't see why this is being like pitched as a valid and heroic one. They Can got you- killed. Of course, it was heroic. Um, yeah, so, okay, if I'm, if I'm crossing the street and get hit by a car, am I a hero? No, because no one is going to hit. Like, I mean, in that situation, it'd be an accident, right? Or are you talking about being purposely hit by a car? Then maybe. No, but okay. But again, to use the example that I use of like, you know, stormfront American uh, racist doodling. No, but the example for it was it the New Yorker that had the cover of Obama and Michelle like fist bumping, wearing terrorist gear or something. Do you know the cover I'm talking about? I don't. I do. No. Okay. So they're, they're like dressed up as terrorists and they're fist bumping, but. If you look at the cover, you're like, oh, my God, how racist, how awful. Um, But they're actually mocking the kind of Trump perspective, like where's Obama's birth certificate? Is he a secret Muslim or whatever? Right. You know, but they don't say it on the cover, but they draw them as that. But they're a left leaning, you know, magazine. So you assume that like that's. The intent of the cover is to mock the right winger. And I I understand what irony is. I mean, yes. (laughs) <laughs> that's what that's what Charlie Hebdo is doing. Right. I mean, I don't I don't see it that way. And like whether whether their intent is to to mock the views of the right or whatever. I mean, if you look at like what it's like in France right now, what it's like in Western Europe right now, especially in the past, like yeah, and it's getting worse with the anti-immigrant, anti-migrant sentiment in Europe. 
and it's that's getting worse and worse because it's the liberals that are not speaking about these issues. Well, did you see the cartoon? Did you see the cartoon they did after uh, what happened in Cologne, where they're like, "Oh, the the Turkish boy who was on all the papers who drowned was dead on the beach. He would have just grown up to be." Uh, yes, again, they're mocking what right wingers are. Yeah, but that that that's like that's like like such like lame satire to me. It's yeah, like I, I don't think it's particularly excellent. I certainly wouldn't personally draw a picture of that dead baby myself, whether it's satirical or not. So I, you know, I agree it's not the best, but it's, just like, it's, it's, like, not, it's, it's not what it's being made out to be. It's not callous racism. Yeah, but whether whether or not it's intended as such, like the way that it's perceived and the way that it's picked up is equally important. I mean, you can't just say one thing and then kind of have your fingers crossed, assume that people know that you're being ironic. I no, mean, but it's a, you have to remember it's a small publication, smallish publication that wasn't, you know viral until after they got murdered. Well, I understand. And like I said in my review, there's no way, obviously, that this pamphlet that Charb wrote, I mean, you would have been able to buy it on a newsstand in Paris, maybe, but there's no way to be being published by Little Brown with a forward by Adam Gopnik or not for all of this. But precisely because of what happened to them, I think it's important to sort of interrogate these ideas. And I think that if we're going to interrogate uh, fundamentalism, and like, you know, again, I don't want to come off like I support religious fundamentalism in any sense. Um, but you, you criticize Size Charlie Hebdo in in your piece, but not the religious fundamentalism. But again, I'm reviewing a book. Okay. Abdo's views on religious fundamentalism. If there was, uh, you know, a, a reverse shot book uh, that was from the other point of view, I would write about that. You know, so it's 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 very limited by that. It's limited by the fact that I only have 900 words to sort of get into all these things. Um, I think if we're going to interrogate fundamentalism and the uh, assumptions of fundamentalism, we also have to constantly be examining and dismantling uh, Western liberalism. And, um, you know, again, I'm... I'm, I'm sensitive to, to your experience and I'm, you know, I can't empathize, but I sympathize surely with, uh, the, the things that you've said, but I feel, I feel like I do in a way identify with these Charlie Hebdo characters because I'm, you know, a white pseudo intellectual quote liberal, although I never really identify as a liberal living in like the privileged West. So it's very. What do you easy. identify as? Um, I don't know. A progressive, third way. I don't know. Um, but the, you know, so it's very easy to imagine myself being charred. When I was a kid, I used to want to be an editorial cartoonist. Um, but so I think that coming from that sort of same position. So is do you that, draw? I doodle. Yeah, I don't know. So I mean, if you were told you were not allowed to draw one specific thing, wouldn't you want to draw it? I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think that there's, I think that there's this sort of, um, th there's a certain dignity in like, not just doing something because you can, I don't know. But again, uh, Western straightish male, I, uh, you know, all these things, I approach these things from a certain level of detachment and ambivalence, um, that other people privilege of. And, 
I understand that, but all I was trying to do with this piece, with this conversation, is, again, to say that we have to look at these values of liberalism, we have to look at how we use our liberalism, how we use our rights, how we use our entitlements and our constitutionally enshrined freedoms, you know, instead of just sort of savoring the fact that we have them and other people are jealous of it or something like that. I like to examine liberalism myself, but I think that we, both you and I, represent the split in liberalism, right? Like, I think you're the side that wants to make these accommodations and I'm the, the split that wants to I don't, not make them and uh, thinks it's important to mock bad beliefs and challenge bad ideas, not accommodate them. That's precisely what I uh, did in the Globe and Mail is challenge what I thought to be the bad ideas of but they, they, but Stefan Charbonneau. I know, but he, don't you think it's a bit harsh to like call him like a giggling coward and real clowns and uh, after he's been pumped with bullets? Well, I don't understand why, like, uh, you know, why, <laughs> like, why is, why does uh, he get to do, like, these guys get our heroes for... Because they were killed for drawing... So if I were to die, I'd be a hero then for making fun of Shard? Like, is that how it works? If, if uh, French cartoonists were an angry, uh, violent group that wouldn't allow you to make fun of French cartoonists and you died making fun of French cartoonists, hero. Well, again, uh, I'd be happier to die on that hill than to die on the hill of, uh, you know, Boko Haram uh, caricatures and, again... Laid buttholes. <laughs> I don't. Oh, we are going in circles. But, you know, I want to thank you for being open to this conversation because yeah. clearly we are coming at it from absolutely different perspectives. And I just want to leave you on one thing sure. is to consider maybe a different term for anti Muslim bigotry than Islamophobia because that just conflates. Um, the dislike of the religion with the bigotry towards the people. And I don't think that that is the case. Right. And Isla I mean, Islamophobia is, you know, obviously become a it's sort of bogus term. term. Um, I mean, I agree. I mean, when you're writing stuff like this, you're using the best word to express a, a concept that people understand, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've trouble with the word Islamophobia, certainly. I think it's certainly a bugbear in the West. To the why, do you why do you have trouble with the word? Um, I'd well, imagine that you'd like it. No, well, for precisely what you're saying, like, I think it, like, inflates a few things into one. I think that, like, uh, people accuse each other of being Islamophobic with a sort of giddiness that I find annoying. Well, like, um, for, for instance, if I say I'm an Islamophobe, like, Islam, in many interpretations, wants me dead, that doesn't mean I'm an anti-Muslim bigot. Like, I experience, I'm a victim of anti-Muslim bigotry, but I am have a fear of Islam, sure. I have right. a dislike for Islam. Right. So no. those two things need to be more clear. I think that the the distinction between them. Right. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I agree with that. But yeah, I guess I do this. It was kind of fun. Yeah. No, it yeah, was definitely. fun. I mean, we got we got some uh, good conversation and maybe heated, but good. I think productive. It was productive. Hopefully, you know, maybe you'll think more about the minorities within Muslim communities. Maybe. I'm, I mean, I'm, again, I'm not oblivious to that, uh, you know. Um, but yeah, again, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank we you, really John. appreciate having you on too. So thank you. Good luck with your 
future pieces and and john is there anything that you want uh to promote while you're here while we've got you on for any listeners to go check out <laughs> i don't think any of your listeners are going to want to read anything else that i do after this are they? <laughs> <laughs> oh come on you do them a disservice they're they're inquisitive people they might really be interested in some of the stuff that Those you have out evil there. new atheists <laughs> yeah oh well i have written about the new atheism a couple times uh, i don't know i write regularly for the globe and mail art section i'm a books columnist there and i contribute at the Toronto Star more or less every week. Uh, so if you Google my name, I guess there's plenty of places to find me. Uh, or you can follow me on Twitter where all I do is make uh, jokes and never talk about anything serious, uh, <laughs> which some people might take as a relief after hearing me go on and on like this. <laughs> and where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, at John Semley 3000. Excellent. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, right, John. Take care, John. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help. Music